listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpointfellowship.org. I had uh, the privilege of officiating the wedding of Adam and Haley Veach yesterday, so uh, we can praise... Praise the Lord for his faithfulness in uniting those two. And when they return, um, I, I pray and trust that we as their church family would hold them accountable to the vows that they made with each other and before the Lord uh, yesterday. Um, th- we're going to read the scriptures first this morning, and uh, we'll be continuing our study of Second Peter. Uh, we'll begin a two-part message on the character and condemnation of false teachers uh, this morning, looking throughout all of chapter 2 discuss, to discuss their character, and then next week we'll come back and look at the condemnation of false teachers. So as you find Second Peter chapter 2 in your Bibles or on your phone, whatever, whatever um, would you go ahead and stand with me wherever you find yourself, if you're watching from home, if you're here with us uh, this morning, so that we would re- honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to read the entire chapter, if you'll follow along with me. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then... The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong is the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, cursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. 
but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, perhaps you're thinking, we've never gone through a book like 2 Peter before. Nevertheless, here we are, and it is, it's good for us uh, to sit here to understand what God would have for us. And personally, um, as I think about the text, I, I was reminded this week that I always think that problems are out there somewhere. Anybody else with me? Like problems are just out there, that they won't affect me, that they uh, won't make it into my circles They won't make it to my family. They won't make it into my church. Take cancer. And I always knew cancer was a reality, that it was devastating, but it was altogether different when it hit my family. And when I found out years ago that my father had been diagnosed with an inoperable, incurable non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, I, I... it took me in a, in a different way. I thought, I thought it was out there. I never expected it to hit my family. The problem was out there, was now here. As I, as I look onto our cultural landscape at the moment, two major things come to mind. The, the first is COVID-19. I remember hearing about it earlier in this year, but that was in other parts of the world. And then all of a sudden, it's here, full-blown in the States, and now I've had friends who have actually had it and thankfully are recovering. The problem out there is now here, and then there are racial issues, most certainly. I was, I was talking with a, a pastor friend last week who happens to be a black man, and he told me that he was called to his very church in this century, just years ago in Forest Park. Now, when he joined the local Baptist network of churches, our local Baptist network of churches, it was publicly announced with applause that everyone was so glad to finally know where to send black people to church. And then he told me the next story. He said, he said, Chris, It was not many years ago after I was called to this very church in the neighborhood of Forest Park to transition a predominantly white church into more a reflection of our local community. He said, I shared the gospel with a black family and they received the gospel. And they repented of their sins and they trusted in Christ Jesus. 
And he said, we're going to baptize you next Sunday. And he was met a couple of days later by the church's deacons who said, black people will never be baptized in our church just years ago. I said, the problem that we thought was out there is now here. And so we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 2 where it says, but false prophets also arose among the people. First, why the but? What is, what is Peter contrasting here? We saw in the text last week the very sources that are reliable. And what were they? They were Peter's eyewitness accounts, and even more than that, they were the prophetic word, the Old Testament scriptures. But now Peter, in chapter 2, turns to an unreliable account, that of false teachers. And so he points back to the Old Testament scriptures, and he says, remember that there were false prophets way back with the Israelites. The beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 13 even gives explicit instructions on what to do with them. And don't listen to the words of false prophets, as they should be put to death because they have taught rebellion against the Lord your God, Deuteronomy 13 says, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Now, that's just Old Testament, right? Old Testament uh, just false prophets were only in the Old Testament. There were false prophets who were leading people astray. Thankfully, that's out there. But Peter continues in verse 1. He says, just as there will be false teachers among you. I want us to see in the text this morning that identifying and avoiding false teachers is essential for the church because the problem is not just out there. It is now here. And so here in verse 1, we see the presence of false teachers. I, I, I want to tell you just for a moment a little bit about my own faith journey. When I went off to Bible college right out of high school, I was immersed with Scripture from all sorts of angles. Professors, classmates, dorm mates, pastors, podcasts were just becoming available at the time, and, and I was getting it from all sorts of ways. And it hit me in a good way. I loved learning and immersing myself in Scripture. The Scriptures themselves, by the Holy Spirit, were wrecking me. And it was then that I really started diving into what we call the doctrines of grace. Total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints... And by the way, if by saying that you want to learn more about that, I highly recommend a book, a book called Proof by Daniel Montgomery. Perhaps you've had a similar story. Sadly, the next part may be true of you as well, because when knowledge isn't tempered with humility, it's a recipe for disaster. I, I was learning. It was all good things, but I knew that I was learning. And I wanted everyone else to know that I was learning, and that just torpedoed at times. Uh, talking with my now wife, who was so gracious in hearing me torpedo her at times with this newfound doctrine that I was learning, slamming her questions down with the theology bat, like a whack-a-mole, right? Say something about Joel Osteen, whack! Say something about Kenneth Copeland, whack! 
Say something about Joyce Meyer. Whack. You know, just, just whacking those things. Give me another one. And as we look at what Peter has to say here this morning about false teachers, I want you to know something that I've never really considered. That if I didn't carefully study God's word, if I didn't receive it and apply it with humility, that I too could be and can be a false teacher. And so this morning, I I don't stand up here uh, desiring to proclaim before you something that I could just say, man, nothing could ever come erroneous from the mouths of Chris. From the mouth of Chris, I don't have to. I I don't say that. I I speak in in, in as much humility as I possibly can. Brother and sister, the Bible that has been preserved for you, handed down to you with great precision and care, is not to be read lightly. That was what the whole message was about last week. It's not to be applied haphazardly. Now listen, I still stand behind the earlier wax, okay? I'm I'm not going back on the things that I took the hammer to. But I would approach them a bit differently. I want you to know, as much as I can say this, because of what the Holy Spirit has done in my own heart, even this week in preparation, the problem out there is now here. And that's Peter's point. There were Old Testament prophets, yes, but now there are false teachers among you. They were coming, they're already here, and they are certainly among us. Benny Hinn's out there, but who's here? And could it be me? Church, may we not grow proud this morning, but rather would we as God's people adopted into his very family, marvel at the very grace that he's shown us in Christ Jesus, at the mercy that we've been given in just hearing and the ability to apply this text as God would have us do. And then would we rightly deal with the presence of false teachers? Perhaps, and I want you to see this, perhaps looking inwardly first, That we wouldn't just naturally assume that the problem is only out there. What if the problem is in here? Well, that was half of one verse. Intermixed, uh, beginning in verse 16 of chapter 1 throughout verse 17 of chapter 2, we also see the preaching of false teachers. Uh, Now that we know false teachers will likely be among us, what do they sound like? Because that's what I want to know, right? What are they going to say? How are we going to pick them out when they start speaking? We saw last week in chapter 1, verse 16, that false teachers bring a message of cleverly devised myths. In verse 1 of chapter 2, we see that they ultimately reject the master who bought them. Now, these are professing Christians, likely, who come in, and they know the right Answers. They say a lot of the right things, and everyone would assume that they are a part of the fold, that they are indeed a part of God's family, that they have been purchased by Christ like the others. But they actually reject the Jesus that is the founder of the church that they say they belong to. We can't miss how they bring this teaching into the church, though. It's not as though false teachers walk in the doors of our church with a flashing speech bubble above their heads that says, false teacher, 
False teacher, everyone makes sure they look at that lady. Everyone makes sure they look at that guy. False teacher. No, the text says that they bring destructive heresies in how? What's the word? What? Secretly. They bring in destructive heresies into the church secretly. I'm in the throes of summer grass cutting at the moment. Maybe many of you find yourselves there also. And... Um, What's so great is if you come to my house right after church today, which you can, you're welcome to, uh, but if you came right after church, you would say, man, great job on the grass. Grass looks really nice, clean lines. It looks good at this very moment. It looks nice and manicured. Say it looks really good today. But if you wait, I hate to tell you this, but if you wait two more days, <laughs> you'd likely say, bro, you've got a really big weed problem. You see my lawn when maintained, and it looks just like grass. But give it a little time, actually a short amount of time, and you'll see some oddities. Some weeds will sprout up, and it's the same with false teachers. Give it some time. They may seem like they're fitting in. Their doctrine may sound the same initially, but eventually you'll hear it. You're to be listening for any teaching that would deny the deity of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And as Peter writes, be sure to listen out for their eschatology. You need to hear that Jesus is going to physically return again. That's Peter's aim in writing this letter. There were false teachers that were coming and saying, hey, I hate to break it to you, but Jesus isn't going to return again. So the good news is that you can live however you want. Speaking of finer points, they can also get into minutia and create issues where issues need not be. We'll see why they do this in just a few minutes, but in the middle of verse 12, they blaspheme about matters of which they are ignorant. Evidently, they were, as we see in verse 11, blaspheming about the glorious ones. Who are the glorious ones? The glorious ones, in keeping with the next letter in the Bible, Jude, are likely evil angels. You say, how do you blaspheme against evil angels? Uh, Perhaps they are so bold as to speak against evil angels, thinking that they themselves are free from even demonic oppression, that even those things couldn't get a hold of them. They couldn't be spiritually attacked. Little do they realize that they are being used by the enemy himself to grab a foothold into Christ's church. Again, they may sound like everyone else, but give it some time. Listen to what others say about Jesus, church. Listen to what others say about who he is, what he's done, and how and if he will come again. We certainly should look at the preaching of false teachers, but Peter spends even more time on this third point that I want you to see, the priority of false teachers. Peter helps us see their teaching is going to be disguised. It's harder to notice but there's something more obvious than what they say, and it's this, how they live. How they live. Peter has little to say, actually, about their very teaching, but he gives a ton of description about false living. That's why I think the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, 1 through 7 when he's given the qualifications of a pastor, actually talks most about character. He says... 
Uh, that a, a man who is going to be a pastor is to be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. He must be well thought of by outsiders. All of those are character. Right in the middle, there is this one action-oriented qualifier he must be able to teach. One. And then the only other qualifier to note is that he must not be a recent convert. Why? Because he may become puffed up. He, he might become arrogant and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Those that false teachers can snatch up, as the text tells us. A pastor shouldn't be able to be swept up. Peter didn't just spend an entire chapter, the, the last one, chapter one, on the character of a Christian for no reason. We shouldn't be surprised that the character of a false teacher is quite the opposite. Now, Dory and I started watching a movie a few nights ago. I started it. Dory finished it. I got about 15 minutes in before I was sound asleep, but I do remember just enough to get a good illustration, and that's all that really matters. Um, anyways, so I'll, I'll set the scene for you. The audience, we, myself, for 15 minutes was clued in on a man that was a con artist, and he was an excessive gambler. And the con artist seemed to be low, running low on funds, and his marriage was on the rocks. So a con artist that has a marriage that's on the rocks and is running low on funds, what does he do? He starts to sell his, his wife's jewelry, okay? And so he finds himself at a, a casino, unable to play anymore because of his lack of funds, and so he finds this lady sitting by, her to, by herself, and he starts talking to her, and he strikes up a conversation, and he quickly finds out that she actually has just come into $87 million by winning the lottery. And so he's like, ears perk up. Hey, this woman has a lot of money. I have a bracelet in my pocket. Hey, what do you think about this beautiful bracelet? And she says she loves it. And he says, no problem. It's $500,000. Now, it was a beautiful bracelet. I don't think it was worth 500000 but they seemed like they were going to make the deal when all of a sudden the police come into the room and this, uh, this police officer actually goes to arrest the woman. So the con artist man is just like, what in the world is happening? So the police officer takes the woman. They go outside of the room, and um, the man, before they leave, he's like, hey, give me back the bracelet, right? So... She gives him back the bracelet. Police escort the woman outside of the room, and the police officer says, hey, did you get it? I'm like, what? All of a sudden, she pulls out what was the real bracelet, and she had actually handed him a fake one, okay? So you get, you get what was going on. He was a con artist, and she was actually a con artist. The con artist, man, didn't even know what to look for in a con artist. The man was unsuspecting. You would have thought that he would have known what to look for. We must be trained, hear this, in spotting out false teachers or else we'll give in to deception. But please do remember, as you grow in your ability to discern false teaching and false teachers, also pray, hear this, also pray that God would soften your heart 
that God would grow you in godliness, that God would grow you in gentleness and in kindness and in humility. Because if you don't, you may find yourself as some false teachers. You'll wind up angry and bitter and possibly swayed into your own false teaching. There are three main categories to look for. Uh, They likely exhibit, false teachers do, one or more of these traits, and they aren't going to surprise you when we list them out in Scripture. They are money, sex, and power. Those are the traits of a false teacher. We see first money in verses 3, 14, and 15. In verse 3, look there in the text. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Verse 14, they have hearts trained in greed. The word train here is actually where we get our word gymnasium. So these false teachers have actually been flexing their muscles, getting ready. They have been working out to make sure that they are able to deceive people. They've spent time developing these muscles. To explain this, Peter gives us an Old Testament picture in verse 15. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. That is false teachers. They followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. Here's a man who agreed to prophesy for Balak, king of Moab, in return for personal gain. And we'll get more into that story next week. But it should always be our desire that the scriptures would wash over us, that we would be self-reflective, asking the spirit to point out any areas in which we are missing the mark, areas in which we need to grow. And so as we grow in our discernment as the people of God, as we develop our own very reflexes in spotting out false teachers, we would do well to ask the Spirit to search our own hearts for any indwelling sin of greed, right? Do I I covet my neighbor's things? Is my heart always desirous of money, more of it and more of it? Am I always driven to get more? Do I hold my money and the resources that God has given me with an open or closed hand? Are my habits, like Instagram or shopping or whatever it is, causing me to grow in godliness? Or are they pushing me to find more money? Are they pushing me to have a greedy heart? So false teachers love money, but also sex. Verse 2, the text says they're followed because of their sensuality. Verse 10, they indulge in the lust of defiling passion. Verse 12 and 14, they're like irrational animals. They only act instinctually, and they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. And they aren't just creatures of the night either. The text says in 13 that they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. You see, these are people that are actually eating the Lord's Supper who are unconcerned about their very own sensuality. Is that you? Is that you? When we hear about false teachers, we must also look inward. God, is that me? Is there a sensual heart about me? I'm reading this and thinking exactly how is one going to know such a thing about an individual unless they get rather close? And the answer is found in verse 19. They promise freedom, but they are themselves slaves of corruption. 
You're going you're to hear this individual talk about a freedom to live however you want as a Christian. Grace abounds, they say, and it does. But Paul is clear that we don't sin so that it will. But again, we must turn inward. Where are you on the spectrum that James gives us in the book of James, chapter 1, leading up to sin? Are you regularly, church, are you regularly being tempted to sin sexually? James says that you are tempted when you are lured and enticed by your own desire, and then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. So listen, if you are being enticed and tempted to sin sexually, regularly, it's time to check your heart. It's time for us to do an evaluation. It's time to check the very things in which you're filling your minds with. What kinds of things are you watching? What kinds of things are you listening to? Finally, false teachers usually desire power. Power. Verse 10 tells us clearly that they despise authority. And they're bold and willful, the text says, or literally, they're boldly arrogant. They likely defy church authority, typically not finding themselves in agreement with the leadership that God has sovereignly placed over them. So they try to gain pockets of authority within the church, trying to get people to see it their way. If you would just find it and look at it my way, there would be a special freedom that you might experience. They're like verse 17 says, waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. They promise much, but they can't deliver. False teachers promise life, that they have the answer, but their product is actually death. And then verse 1. We see that they deny the very master who bought them. They don't see it, but the real problem is that they detest the authority of God, the one who purchased and ransomed sinners unto himself. Are you constantly battling the teacher of your church? Inwardly or externally, are you desiring to be in control, to handle things differently? And that doesn't mean that you're a false teacher but it does likely mean that you actually have an issue with the church's master, Jesus Christ himself, who bought and paid for his church with his very own life. Watch out for the desire for power in your own heart and in the heart of others. As we conclude this morning, I have three questions for us. And the first is this. Now, what metric are you using to evaluate your very own pastors, the pastors of South Point? What metric are you using to evaluate? I read that the greatest defense against false teaching is a local church community that knows, enjoys, and lives the word of God and holds its leaders accountable. There are lots of great teachers out there, and we can listen and watch anyone we want at any time. I love that ability. I do it myself. Pull up a podcast pull up a YouTube video. You can watch any and every teacher you could possibly want at any time. But I'll tell you this, I can't measure up. Your pastors at South Point won't be able to measure up to many of the gifted teachers that are in the global church. So be sure, please, that your evaluation is scriptural. I ask of you, judge character. That's what Peter tells us. Judge character, and please do that. 
Listen, the character of your pastor speaks volumes about your own heart and value and understanding of the word of God. It speaks volumes about your own spiritual maturity. There wouldn't be as many false teachers if they didn't have so many followers. Family? Second question is this. Is the metric that you're using to judge and discern false teacher and false teaching the same that is regularly being used on yourself? Man, it should make you furious that there are individuals that are leading people that you know into eternal damnation and destruction. And believe me, we'll get into this next week, but their destruction or reward is coming for them. But it should also cause you great pause. If false teachers would submit to scriptures, would they not see their error? If the Holy Spirit would grant them the ability, they would repent of their ways. So be sure to read the scriptures as the authority in your life, church. As the final measure of a rule in your very own life. What the Bible says goes for me. What the Bible says goes for my family. What the Bible says goes for our church. And when, when I'm found outside of it, it's time for Chris to change, not the Bible. And I don't, I don't want to deny the master who bought me. I don't want you to be fooled. I don't want to fool others into thinking that they are actually regenerate, that they've been bought by Christ when actually they're going to die in their sins. That would be a terrible travesty, and that should make us all tremble as we teach God's word in the various avenues that the Lord has afforded in our lives. Or there's this possibility of having someone having faith in Christ Jesus but being caught up in a wrong understanding of doctrine for their entire life and having missed out on some of the joy that they could have been experiencing fully in Christ Jesus in this lifetime. I don't want that for you. I don't want to send you there. That's why I'm sobered as I teach this this morning and continue going back in this text next week. That's why there's a strict judgment on teachers I don't want to tell you something God has said that he has not. Let's take care to see that that doesn't happen to us, our brothers and sisters, and that that isn't us. And finally, are you going to allow the scriptures to be the authority in your life? If so, where there is sin, where there are desires for money, sex, or power, will you repent of them this morning? the Holy Spirit is convicting you of some area of indwelling sin, would you just lay it at the altar this morning? Would you repent of them this morning? And if you are a false teacher, as you, as you look at the scripture, as you submit yourself to the scriptures, will you repent this morning? I know that our Father wants you to come to him. I know that this church family wants you to be reconciled to our Father and to this church family, that there is a master who has given his life for you if you would only trust in him by faith. He's merciful. And if you're unconverted, would you turn to Christ today while it's still today? And the reality is that you're living your life in light of what you think the future holds. We all do that. 
And Christianity, according to our standard, the Bible, believes that there is a coming judgment for all who do not have faith in Christ Jesus. But any who do, any who do will have sure eternal safety, and those who do not will have eternal torment. Would you come to Christ this morning? Finally, if you're going to allow the scriptures to be the authority in your life, will you rejoice in their author this morning? Will you enjoy the depths of his redemptive love in Christ? Identifying and avoiding false teachers is essential for the church because the problem is not just out there. It's here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us what perhaps is not the, the, the kindest thing we could possibly uh, teach on a Sunday morning. Perhaps not a message that many of us are familiar with. But Father, we thank you for the word that you have preserved for us. We thank you that your word is profitable, that it's good for correcting, that it's good for training us in righteousness. And we pray that as your people and by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would be able to submit to your very words with meekness and humility. That as you grow in us a desire and knowledge to look out for false teachers in this church, that you would also help us to remain sober-minded, self-controlled individuals that also would look first inside our own hearts. God, I pray as your people this morning, that we would be convicted of sin, that we would ask that you would rid it of us, that we would mortify our own flesh this morning. God, that we would turn to you glorious, redeeming Father, who sent your son Christ Jesus to pay for a sin debt that we could never have done on our own. we thank you this morning. God, I pray that you would grow in us, our church, a deep abiding love for your word and a humility that far exceeds our natural ability, a supernatural one. God, would you help us to be concerned for your word, that it's rightly applied, that it's rightly taught in your church, and that we would not be a part of false teaching. We thank you for this time, and we love you. It's in Christ Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.